0: The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today
1: FM. It all happens here. Today FM. Hey, welcome back. Nathan Murphy stepping in for Matt this evening. Now, two months ago, the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman, appointed Daniel McSweeney as Director of Authorised Intervention at the site of the former Bonsacour's mother and baby home in Toome. Daniel McSweeney will, in the coming months, lead the first exhumation at the site where 796 infants who died between 1925 and 1961 were buried. The hope is that through DNA analysis, the remains of the tomb babies can then be returned to their families. Uh, Daniel McSweeney is in studio. Thanks for coming in, Daniel. This is an incredibly complex project that you're about to undertake. Can you take us through the process of what you're going to be doing in Tomb over the next few months?
0: Hi, Nathan. Um, Yeah, uh, where do I start with this? Maybe, okay, let's start with the the process itself. I mean, what am I mandated to do? It is to recover the remains from the site um, and then to identify insofar as possible those remains, to individualize, to actually bring together each set of remains, to establish um, causes and um, circumstances of death and then the um, identified remains are returned to families. Unidentified remains, um, we have a memorial. They are memorialised, so they're um, essentially buried correctly together with a memorial that's decided on by families. And then at the end of the process, the director writes a report um, about these these different points. So that's essentially the, the, the yeah that's the the mandate the role.
1: What's your experience on working on sites like this?
0: Well, I've worked for the International Committee of the Red Cross um, for, from 2007 until a few weeks ago, uh, and I worked in various conflict and post-conflict um, countries. Uh, in, when I first became aware of the tomb tragedy, um, it was around 2014-15 and I was working in Lebanon. And one of the things that I was working on was the to clarify the fate of the missing persons from the civil war in Lebanon. So the civil war in Lebanon was 1975 to 1995. And we as international, well, we, they, um, the ICRC, the International Committee of the Red Cross, was gathering information from combatants, witnesses, families, journalists, anybody, to try and locate grave sites where they would be. We were And we're also taking from families... Um, information and particularly DNA that would actually help to identify remains if and when we recover them. And the third thing we were doing was really working with the Lebanese authorities to create an office like the office that has been created in Tewm. So I know what it's like to try and set something up and create something. After uh, Lebanon, I worked in the ICRC headquarters in Geneva for over four years and I was overseeing a lot of this work around the world. So I know how this work has been done in the Balkans, in the Caucasus, in Latin America, in Asia, so the the different approaches... And then for the last two years, really, before I started here, I was working in the Caucasus and there the ICRC runs um, really DNA led missing um, identification programs in a number of countries uh, in in that region.
1: Catherine Corliss, who has just done such tireless work at uh, bringing this atrocity to uh, world attention, but also uh, from a historical sense, Mm -hmm. being able to identify the 796 infants. Have you met with her and how aware are you of what you're going to see at the site when you start to excavate?
0: Sure. Uh, one thing that I've learned from my experience with the Red Cross um, is that the families have to be at the centre of the work. They really have to be the, the, the people to whom I'm responsible. So. My appointment is uh, is, is in, independent of the government. So I have been appointed, but I'm independent. Um, so that's I think that's very important and the families welcome that. So I see myself as working first for the families and secondly for us all, because I think this is a sort of a dark, dark chapter in our history that uh, I hope to bring a degree of resolution to a, a degree of closure. Um, now, uh, when I started um, at the end of May, I made it a point to go and see the families, To see the survivors, their advocates, before I spoke to anybody media-wise, and the very first person I met was Catherine Corliss. So it was the last day of May or the first day of June. I met Catherine at the site in Tume and we spent some time there, and she showed me around and what she believed was there. And we went to her house, and then we spent a lot of time. You know, she was explaining what she has done. Now, there's an awful lot more that Catherine knows, and she has a huge amount to contribute to this, but. I remain in contact with her a lot and she will, um, I think, be of great help all the way through this.
1: We're talking about almost 800 children here. It's hard to fathom the number. Mm-hmm. In terms of the families that you hope to bring some closure to over the yeah. coming months and years, how many of those 796 children, how many of their families mm-hmm. have are known of and how many have come yeah. forward?
0: Well... The, OK, in terms of creating the office at the moment, it's it's just me. Um, and then, I, as I said, I was appointed a few weeks ago and I'm now in the process of creating an office and setting up the different components, forensics um, and sort of back office. And then there will also be, um, you know, family liaison. That's a very important part. So we will have that and we will engage with families. Now, I've already met with, as I said, some families directly, some groups of families. The numbers of families that I'm aware of now is really low dozens. It's it's, it's quite small, but we hope through an outreach programme that more people will come forward. At the same time, we have to be respectful of the fact that some people may not want to come forward. And I think there you start to touch on the difficulties that we face in terms of identifying you know, all of these uh, these children. So in terms of identification, there's really, I think a number of challenges that are there. The first is how many close relatives would actually come forward and give DNA because it has to be a close relative in order for there to be a match.
1: So and there's no way of identifying mm-hmm. the children unless you have a living family member willing to donate their DNA?
0: A, a close relative. and we, we must have DNA from a close relative in order to have a DNA match. That's um that, That's just a sort of scientific requirement. Now, there are other ways that matches could be done. Um, Like in a military context, if, you know, soldiers have these dog tags, for example, the purpose of those dog tags is to actually identify remains. So if somebody's found with a driving license in their pocket or with, you know, dental records, there's other ways of doing identifications, but none of them are probably relevant in tune because of the very short lives these these children lived and the lack of any records relating to them. So in this context, it's probably only going to be uh, a DNA um, identification. So, there is a limitation to to the identification program which is how many close relatives come forward The other big limitation is we don't know what we will find until we actually do the the recovery of the remains. And there we will have to see, first of all, what we find um, and then the state of those remains, because they will have been in the ground since somewhere between 1925 and 1961.
1: Yeah, talk to us about that, about that challenge, where you have, as you say, some of these children were buried almost 100 Mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. On the scientific side, what impact on DNA analysis Mm -hmm. does the passage of time have?
0: I mean, it's... We I mean, really, I'm not trying to avoid anything, but we won't really know until we do the dig. Um, there are situations where remains are found that are very, very old, and it is possible to do identifications. There are situations where remains are found and they're quite recent and it's more difficult. Um, I mean, I know of a situation where two bodies were found together in the same grave, actually sort of lying across each other. And in one body, um, the DNA was very quickly recoverable and it was and very easily identifiable. And the other body, and they both died at the same time, the DNA was extremely difficult to recover. So it really is only when we actually recover the remains that we will see. And then if you like, that's the second pot of information, and that we will only really know once we have, have recovered those remains. So what's, how, how much, how many sets of remains do we find um, from from the grave site? What DNA do we collect from families? And then, really the third source of information is the archives and data that um, are, are there that we will look at, because if you think about the Mother and Baby's Home Commission of Inquiry, they looked at all of that information, but with very broad questions in mind, like what happened in, in the home my questions are much more are much narrower. So there may be information in there that will help us to answer some of the questions in combination with what we find from the families and what we find from the remains itself, themselves.
1: On that, who else will be involved? Will there be a role for the coroner? Because I know a lot of the campaigners and family mm-hmm. members had concerns that this might impact the power of the coroner to investigate these deaths.
0: Yeah. So under the, the Institutional Burials Act of last year, which really, under which my role has been created, I must inform the coroner and inform the guards if we find evidence of a a violent or unnatural death and that would be part of the brief of the forensic anthropologists that that uh, sorry forensic archaeologists that do the dig and if we find anything like that we will inform the guards and and, and inform the coroner i've already been in i've already sent emails basically to the guards in tomb and to the coroner i've had a response from the guards and i hope to meet them very soon equally with the coroner so that we can agree in advance of any work being done okay how will we actually manage this this eventuality? Because, of course, it could happen.
1: You're obviously in the process of putting together a team that will work on this over the coming months and years mm-hmm. with an aim of bringing peace to people. But the process you go through, mm-hmm. it may open up a lot of old wounds around Tomb, and it might yeah. raise more questions of, mm-hmm. of what exactly happened at the site.
0: Well, there are two key constituencies, I think. The first is, as I said, the families with whom um, we've made a lot of contact and... Um, to whom I would say if they're listening, you know, if you believe that you have um, family members buried in buried in Tume, we will, you know, open a process in the coming months for you to contact us so that we can then have you on a register, take your DNA and then have you in mind when we do the search. So that's one part of this. And as I said, they really have to be at the centre of the work as it goes forward. The other key constituency are the people of Tume. And they, of course, we need to have a dialogue with them. We need to explain to them what we're doing, when we're doing it. There will certainly be concerns in Tum that we will want to listen to and take on board. So that process begins next week. I will meet with the county councillors um, from Tum and the TDs. And that's really the first discussion with the representatives of the people of TUME. And then that will lead into um, discussions in a format to be to be decided with people from TUME so that they can express um, th- their needs and their concerns and I, I want to have a clearer picture of you know what we will do and when we will do it before I really have that discussion.
1: Question from a listener uh, what is defined as a close relative for somebody who died over a hundred years ago?
0: Well I think there's there's two parts to that one is um, you know people that we would bring into the process um, and deal with as a relative in terms of sharing information and that, that that's quite broad but there's then the the there's a more Forensic question or a DNA genetic question as to who can who, whose DNA is close enough to the missing person to actually provide a match. So in the uh, in the act, so again I go back to the act. It is first degree and second degree relatives, meaning so parent, sibling, children. Obviously, there are no children of these of these missing people, and then it is um, aunts, uncles, and co- uh, I, I think aunts, uncles, nieces, nieces, and nephews. So it's that degree of closeness outside of that is not included in the act
1: Have you had contact with the Order of the Bon Secours who were in charge of the mother and baby home?
0: Not yet but I certainly will that's that's on my list of things to do but really as I said I've, I've only been in the post for a few weeks and my focus has been meeting the families now um, moving on to Toome, now really doing a a series of interviews with the national media to introduce myself and the work. And there's a whole series of other people that we will contact in the next few weeks. And and as I add people to the staff, we will have more capacity to do that.
1: What you're trying to do is a a very scientific act for a a very emotive end point. What is the timeline that people can expect all this to to happen in?
0: Well, I mean, the work needs to be done to international forensic standards and best practice um, and, and that means that it will take time so the first thing that I need to do is to set up the office, which means you know having um, a head of forensics, having a team of forensic archaeologists, a team of forensic anthropologists, having a lab premises we don 't have that yet, having an i t system i mean the figure that i 've used is i mean it, a newborn baby has 300 bones. We as adults have 208 or 209. So if you have 800 children and 300 bones, that's up to 240,000 bones that we could be finding. So you need to have a system to track and trace every single one of them. So we can't go with shovels tomorrow. So what I've said is that um, in, in about six months, I hope to have a better idea of when we'll be able to do this. So I need I need a sort of startup period um, to find a lab, get the IT system, hire people, develop a plan, and then I hope in six months to be able to say, okay, on date X, we will be able to start.
1: All right, Daniel McSweeney, thanks so much for joining us in studio. The last word with Matt Cooper, Today FM. It all happens here.